Welcome to the pulpit ministry of Christ Community Church in South Florida, aiming to make, mature, and multiply disciples by preaching and teaching God's Word based on the sufficiency of Scripture. And now, let's join our preacher for the message. So this is an interesting passage of Scripture uh, to preach on. You know, it's almost like you could read it, and you're done, right? I mean, all of us have heard the account of John the Baptist being beheaded. And uh, the other thing is we could exegete and break down every single one of these words in the Greek, um, and then we could just be here, since we don't have a love feast today, we could just be here for like an extra hour beyond, like an hour 45 sermon today. You guys ready for that? All right, here we go. Um, in actuality, it was a, it's been a difficult passage to to contemplate and prepare for because it is so narrative and because we've all heard this so many times um, that it's been one I've been meditating on for two weeks and just mulling it over in my mind and very excited just to to see what the Lord's going to do in us through what would apparently just be what we would call a narrative um, type of passage. Interestingly enough, it's, a very odd, it's placed in a very odd spot. The first part that we saw was that Jesus was rejected by his family and by his people when he came into his hometown. And he says a prophet, you know, is basically welcomed or honored everywhere but in his home or among, those, among his family. And then he sends out the 12. And then all of a sudden, there's this thing about the death of John the Baptist, and it's 15 verses long. And guess what? Guess where it picks up next week? And the apostles return to Jesus. So it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. The last thing we see is the apostles going out and healing and casting out demons. And then all of a sudden, smack in the middle, John the Baptist and his account of his death. And then jumping back into where we just left off, the apostles. So it's almost like we're taking a commercial break, you know, or a parenthesis in the middle of these passages And they would actually, if you had taken it out, it would have flowed better, right? But we believe that this is all here, you know, with God's purpose and his intention. Oftentimes, um, we talk a lot about the authors of, of, of Scripture and their own human influence upon the Scripture and how the Holy Spirit used them to write the Scripture and inspired them to write it. Um... And that's wonderful, but I just love to think that God likes to mess with us and likes to tell us, stop trying to put it all in perfect little order and get it all perfectly fitted the way that you like it. And this is what the Holy Spirit did in Mark to write these words here and now. And not just, well, Mark is putting, you know, make another, another sandwich in, his, in, his, in, his, in the gospel. But you see a theme of persecution, a theme of Loss of uh, familial relationships first, and then you see the 12 going out, and Jesus tells them, if they don't um, accept your word, if they don't accept you, what did he tell them to do? Shake the dust off of their feet, yes. So he's preparing them even as they go out. Your your message isn't going to be accepted everywhere. The gospel is not going to be accepted everywhere. And then we have this incredible passage of Scripture showing how the gospel is not accepted everywhere. The truth is not accepted everywhere. 
And here are Jesus' words on persecution. From Luke 21, verse 10. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be great earthquakes in various places and famines and pestilences. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before, chapter 3 over here, but before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. And they, and you will be brought before kings and governors. And here's John the Baptist. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how you will answer. For I will give you a mouth and a wisdom which none of, you, which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance you will gain your lives. Let's pray. Father God, as we go into this passage, Lord, we just continue to ask you, Lord, just for your spirit, Holy Spirit, to work in us today. Work in our hearts, Lord, and all of your servants who are here, Lord. Work in our hearts, Father, to hear, receive, and to speak your word and your truth, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Babe, do you have a bottle of water still for me? Or did you give it away? Um, okay. So... I'm going to flip this around a little bit. We're not going in order. Typically, I like to preach in order through a passage, but we're not going to do that. Thank you, my love. Um, we're actually going to start out with what I call the murderers. The name of this, the, the title to this um, sermon is The Servant of God, which has been the title to all of them thus far, Murder and Martyrdom. And we have some players here, and I like the way Robert says, Harad. Makes me feel like Yo Harad. Herod, King Herod, or King Herod, ruler of Galilee. We have different players in this story that we, that we see um, being mentioned. And we're just going to go through them. And I almost like want, don't want to spend too much on, time on them, but I have to because they make up the majority of the narrative. So King Herod is an adulterer. Um, for it was Herod who sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. He actually divorced his wife to marry Herodias. And we'll find out a little bit more about Herodias in a little bit. Matthew 14 adds um, that Herod wanted to put John the Baptist to death. It doesn't say that here, but it says that because of this, for the sake of Herodias, um, he wanted to put him to death and that uh, he also was in, in, in cahoots with that. He, it was his desire. So first of all, Herod is an adulterer. The second thing is, Herod is a fearful person. He's a fearful man. It says, for Herod feared John in this passage, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe for a time. Matthew 14 adds that Herod feared the people because they held John the Baptist to be a prophet. So here is a leader, an adulterous leader, um, an adulterous king, and on top of that, he's a fearful man. He's worried about what other people think, what the people uh, that he uh, reigns over think. And King Herod is called King Herod, but he's not actually king of much, let's say. Uh, his father, Herod the Great, had split up upon his death uh, the area of Palestine into four different 
tetrarchs, rulers, and he had Galilee, the northern part. And his brother got named king by Caesar, so then he was a little bit jealous, and he was like, can I be called king too? And Caesar was like, fine, you can be called king too. So he's not really king of much in that sense, like a, you know we think of. Uh, but nonetheless, that's his title. But he's fearful of man, but he's not fearful of God, which is where we know wisdom comes from, the fear of the Lord. He's also dead spiritually. The passage says that when he heard him, when he heard John the Baptist, he was greatly perplexed, yet he heard him gladly. It reminds me sometimes of how many churches today are filled with people who get dressed up on Sunday and they go to church and they hear the message and they really enjoy the really good time that's being had there, but they really don't hear. And they're honestly perplexed by the message and this love for Jesus, but they're doing their duty and they're going to church. And that's kind of him. He's, he, he wanted to hear John the Baptist, but he doesn't get it. He doesn't have ears to hear like the Lord, Lord says. He doesn't have eyes to see. He's a spiritually dead, adulterous king. And he's also very boastful, almost to a foolish extent. And he says, it says in the word, And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give it to you up to half my kingdom. So Salome has come in and she has danced. The daughter of Herodias has come in and danced, and this king has just given away half of his kingdom. So he's either speaking exaggeratedly, but either way, a very foolish, boastful thing to say um, over a dance in front of many people who were there for his birthday. So he's a boastful individual. He's an adulterer. He's dead spiritually, um, and he has this bit of worldly sorrow that is shown in this passage. And I think probably in the scripture, this is a fantastic example of what worldly sorrow or worldly grief looks like that we read in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 7. It says, and the king was exceedingly sorry. He wasn't just sorry. He was exceedingly sorry. But because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her, to Herodias' daughter, also known as Salome. In 2 Corinthians 7, 10, it says, For godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. And in this case, it actually did produce death, the death of John the Baptist, because he could have easily, if he was really, really sorry about it, he could have said, yeah, we're not doing that. We're not chopping off John the Baptist's head. But he didn't say that. He's boastful. He's arrogant. I spoke this word in front of these people. She's asked for this, and now I have to give it to her. Lastly, he's a murderer. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. And this is the beginning. This is the first of the murderers we're going to talk about because this is murder and martyrdom. So he's murderer number one. Murderer number two, Herodias. Herodias happens to be a little bit related to him. She's like a half-niece or something like that. Uh, the, the, the family of Herod, Herod the Great, they are very incestuous people. Um, and, and so Herodias, she's also an adult. She's also an adulterer, an adulteress. Um, she's married to Philip, uh, who is Herod's brother. And she abandons Philip to be married to Herod. So both of them abandon their spouses to be with one another. So we have an adulterous uh, queen. And then on top of that, she's grudgeful. 
it says that Herodias had a grudge against him. And that word had is had, held. In some um, passages in, in, in other translations, it says to nurse. So she was nursing that grudge. She was, she was keeping it alive. You know, she was feeding that grudge. She wasn't letting it go. And it says in James that the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And here you have a grudge playing, it, playing itself out. So we have a queen who is murderous in her heart already and grudgeful. And then she's looking for this opportunity. So she's also murderer number two. And she wanted to put him to death because of what he had said, because he had called them out, because he had spoken truth. John the Baptist had called him and said, it is unlawful for you to be married to Herodias because Philip had not died. In the Old Testament, if your brother died, then the other brother in line would come in and take care of that wife and maybe marry her and maybe it would go down to the third brother. We see that in the scripture, but that's not the case here. He's taken his brother's wife, which is an offense to God, and she, is, she doesn't like to hear that truth, and she's waiting for the opportunity. It said, but an opportunity came. So for a while there, John the Baptist was safe. There wasn't an opportunity, but now the opportunity has come. And Salome is our next murderer, and she's the manipulated murderer. Because where did she go to find out what to ask for? I mean, she just got the Christmas gift list of her life. Whatever you want in the kingdom. She can have whatever she wants. She goes to Mommy Dearest, and she says, what should I ask for, right? And then she becomes complicit in the murder. Because Mom says, we want John the Baptist's head on a platter. And I know we've heard this so many times, but think about how sick in the head this is. You can have whatever you want in this kingdom, the palace, whatever you want, rule over certain groups. You can have money, and you're going to ask for somebody's head on a platter. So, Hero so Salome becomes complicit in this murder, and and she says this, and it says in verse 25, and she came immediately with haste. She didn't come dragging her feet. Oh, man, Mom, she's like head on the platter. I really wanted, you know, the palace on the corner. No, it's like she came in immediately with haste. We're going to get this guy to the king and asked him, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And then the last murderer in the story is the executioner. The executioner says he went and he beheaded him in prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. No one says stop. There's a room like this full of people. We're at a birthday party. This transaction is happening. The four murderers mentioned beforehand, and then the entire party is complicit as well. No one says, stop. This is an innocent man. He hasn't been tried. No trial for him. He's in prison. No one says, stop. So this is the majority of our folks of, of, in, this, in this passage the murderers. Now we're going to go to the messenger and the martyr. 
It says in verse 18, for John had been saying to Herod, and this is the only real mention of John's words or what he did. It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife, according to Leviticus 20.21. He's correct. And it adds in Luke chapter 3, verse 18, that John also reproved him for all the evil things Herod had done. So there was a little bit more than just this. He had also called him out on other things. So what did John the Baptist come preaching? He came preaching repentance. And he was called in a way where he was going to stand and be heard by governors and those in authority. And he was going to call them to repentance too. And that's what he did. So we're going to talk a little bit about John, the messenger. John the Baptist, the messenger. John the Baptist, the martyr. Listen to what the angel said to Zechariah in Luke chapter 1. And he, John the Baptist, will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go out before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn hearts, God was a good guess, in the power of Elijah, to turn hearts, the hearts of the fathers and the children and the disobedient to wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Jesus said of John the Baptist, truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no greater than John the Baptist. The herald that was prophesied, is dead. You know, we read through Mark. The last time we saw John the Baptist, do you know when it was? Chapter 1. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then it begins with the voice crying out in the wilderness, and it goes straight to John the Baptist. John the Baptist is part of the gospel story. He's part of the good news coming. He's the herald going out before to prepare the way, and the herald is dead now. So when we get to Mark 6, and we've heard this story so many times, we miss out on the fact that whoever read Mark for the first time, when they got to Mark 6, which we we numbered it Mark 6, it was just somewhere along the gospel. When they got there, they were like, wait, Mark, the last time I heard about John, he was alive. Wait a minute, he's dead? And and now he's beheaded, but, you know, we've read it so many times. We've heard it so many times that it's just kind of like, oh, John the Baptist, he's dead. Yeah, he got his head cut off. No big deal. <laughs> this is the herald. So it should shock us when we get here, but we've been dulled by the information that we have. But whoever was reading this originally, you heard, or maybe not reading it, but hearing it for the first time being read out loud, the shock. The herald is dead. The guy from chapter 1, the voice crying out in the wilderness, he's been silenced. It's quite sad that most, the most memorable thing that most of uh, Christians think about John the Baptist is what he wore and what he ate. You ask anybody about John the Baptist, oh yeah, that's the guy that ate locusts and honey. <laughs> He wore camel hair, you know, he's the freaky guy out in the wilderness. Kind of shows how superficial we are, even though maybe we don't want to admit it. Listen to the words of someone who knows who he is and what his role is. 
Matthew 3. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. Verse 13, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And you come to me? John 1, 29, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John 3, he must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from heaven is above all. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. But not even John the Baptist knows the mind of God, and he ends up in prison. I'm not sure if he saw that one coming. He sends this question to Jesus by messenger in Matthew 11. Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? Not even the greatest among those born to women is without doubts, without his own anxiety, without questions as to the will of God. And that actually gives me hope. Because John the Baptist isn't Jesus. He's a human like us. But he surrendered to the Lord. His dad receives a special message from an angel on a special day in the temple and he, that he and his barren wife are going to have a son. Dad, Zechariah, is made mute for the next nine months for asking how. The miracle baby will be the voice crying out in the wilderness, preparing the way of the Lord, the Messiah. He would be named Jehovah is a gracious giver. That's what John means. He becomes that voice in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. John baptizes Jesus. I mean, again, we read these things. He's the guy who got to baptize Jesus. That's crazy. He baptized Jesus. John is arrested and imprisoned unjustly. John got COVID and spent five days in the hospital. Nope. John's lungs were permanently damaged from COVID and pneumonia. Nope. John had to wear one of those masks for a year and a half in public places. No. John was fired. Nope. John lost his house. Nope. John had to get vaccinated. <laughs> No. John lived in a free country where duly elected leaders with a constitution that protect their unalienable rights, their rights with a roof over his head with three fed, uh, three meals every day. No. John got his head chopped off. John got his head chopped off. I like little words like beheaded. It sounds so much nicer. The one called to be the voice crying out in the wilderness got his head chopped off. And we worry about COVID and vaccines and our roof 
and this and that. He got his head chopped off. He came with the spirit of Elijah. Do you think maybe he was expecting a personal rapture? Elijah got one. Why not him? If I'm coming in, hey, your mom and dad told you that the angel said, you're coming in the spirit of Elijah and the power. But maybe he's expecting a rapture like us. But that's not what he got. So what about us? What is your calling? What is my calling? What is your gifting? Are you employing your gifting for the building up of the church? Are you employing it with that type of humility? He must increase and I must decrease. What are we expecting? We want Jesus to come back. Everybody said, well, the Lord's coming back. Can't wait. The signs are showing it. Times are showing it. Why? Is it because we want an evacuation and we don't want the execution? We want to get out of here before we get our heads chopped off? Maybe. Things to think about as we go to take the Lord's Supper now. And we're going to continue in the sermon. And we're going to incorporate the Lord's Supper into our time together. I'm going to have Jalen come up and play. We're going to pray. There's three stations in the back, or two stations. I want you to go get your juice and to go get your bread. And then just come back, and then we're going to continue on in the sermon. But as we're doing that, let's take a moment to pray and just ask God just to even speak to us now from what we've heard thus far from his word. Father God, we give you thanks, Lord, for the example that you gave us in our brother John. Lord, speak to our hearts as we come now to partake of the Lord's Supper, to take this bread and to take this juice. Father God, and to... We ask you, Lord, you would speak to our hearts, Lord. Help us, Lord, to search our hearts um, for our own selfishness, lack of obedience, lack of surrender to you, God. Forgive us, Lord, for our sins that we have committed on the way to church and throughout this week, the ways that we have offended you, Father God, by the things that we have done and by the things that we have not that you asked us to do. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You all may go and, and get your, um, your cup of juice and your bread and then return to your seats and, and have a seat and we'll continue on.
Did you guys catch Jesus in this passage? It's just really quick. It goes by really fast in this passage because there's so much about these murderous people and John the Baptist that Jesus is just like really short and quick in this. But this is where we're going to spend some time now before we take the Lord's Supper. It says in the passage, for the name of Jesus had become known. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name, for Jesus name had become known. King Herod gets a whiff of something supernatural going on. It's not just ordinary news. How do we know he's smelling something supernatural, something otherworldly? Because of the questions that come or the statements that come of who this Jesus is. All three options from what they see Jesus is require miraculous intervention. Some say he's John the Baptist raised from the dead. I'm sure that Herod's pretty scared about that's not making him feel real good. Maybe John the Baptist has come back to haunt me. Some say it's Elijah in the flesh back from heaven. This doesn't sound too crazy if you look up Elijah to the Jews today even. They believe that Elijah comes and he, he actually watches them from heaven and he does help them. Elijah is the big, big prophet in the Jewish community, in Judaism. So maybe he's come back from heaven. Or maybe this Jesus is a prophet of old, one of those, those prophets that just God works through and does these wonders. There's these miraculous signs. They smell something supernatural. But who is this Jesus? He's the promised seed of Eve that would bruise the serpent's head. He is the prophet promised to Moses who would speak to us all that God had commanded. He is the suffering servant in Isaiah 53, wounded for our transgressions. He is the lamb without blemish whose blood causes death to pass over in Exodus. He is the fourth man walking in the fiery furnace in Daniel 3 whose appearance is like a son of the gods. He is the stone that the builders rejected that has become the cornerstone. He is the ruler born in Bethlehem. He is the one born of a virgin. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He is the child that Herod the Great set out to destroy but could not. He is the great high priest after the order of Melchizedek. He is the lamb slain before the foundations of the world. He is the word that became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. For from his fullness we have received grace upon grace, grace upon grace. He is the one who died on the cross for our sins. He is the one who was buried he is the one who was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. I just wanted us to feast on who this Jesus is that's causing this uproar before we remember him.
before we take this bread and this juice, that we would feast in our minds all that the Lord fulfilled, the Word of God made flesh to dwell among us, that we could remember Him well today as we take this, that we could remember His love for us, His sacrifice, His resurrection. He told us to do this in remembrance of me. So let's remember him as we take the Lord's Supper, as we take the bread, as we take this juice, which is a symbol of what the Lord did for us and his work on the cross for us. In 1 Corinthians 11, it says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and we had given thanks, he broke it. Father God, we give you thanks, Lord, for sending your Son. We thank you, Jesus, for giving your life for us. We thank you for your body that was broken, this bread represents, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for not leaving us alone, but sending to us a comforter, the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for, for leading us into truth, for opening our eyes, Lord, for not leaving us spiritually dead like Herod, Lord. But in your grace, grace upon grace, Lord, you gave us eyes to see and ears to hear. We bless this, Lord, in your name. Amen. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took up the cup after supper, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you will proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. My brothers and sisters, I don't know all that the Lord has for each one of us individually. I don't even know what he has for me altogether. Don't know what surprises he has in store. I find that we are busy Worrying these days about things that are out of our control. If John didn't get to keep his head, there might be some things that we lose along the way that are less than our head. And in that, how are we walking and representing Christ in this world? Are we doing it in humility, in love, and a surrender to God and his will? our lives and that is a battle every day every day to surrender to God's will let's go to the Lord in prayer and we're going to sing this song together and worship the Lord Father God we give you thanks for your word thank you Jesus for your love for us Lord I thank you Lord that you didn't hide the truth from us Lord 
that rejection and persecution and violence against us is is part of the package. Sometimes, Lord, we're, we're focused on the fire insurance that we've been saved from hell, but we don't recognize that suffering is part of your work in our lives. That we have things to learn, Lord, about you that come no other way. Lord, help us to suffer well in a way that glorifies you, Lord. We all still have our heads in this room. We all still have breath and life to give to you in return for the eternal life that you've granted, Lord, to those who trust in you and put their faith in Christ alone. Oh, Lord, we pray that you would work in every heart in this room, that every heart in this room would know you, Jesus, as Savior, that the calling is high, and that we would count the cost. But the reward in you, Lord, is greater. We bless your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Christ Community Church is a God-glorifying, Christ-exalting, and Bible-centered body of believers who love God and love people by making disciples of Jesus Christ. For more information on us and to learn how to give towards our media ministry, please go to our website at www.christcomchurch.org. That's christcomchurch.org. And look for the Giving tab at the top of the homepage. 